Well, Jerry, we are back at it, back at Safeco Field, and the Mariners happen to be undefeated since the last time we talked. It's good to see you back in the eat-your-own room here in Safeco Field. I vote we keep talking so that we continue <laughs> to go undefeated. Well, we are joined uh, once again by Colin O'Keefe uh, steering the ship for us, uh, Gary Hill. Uh, gets actually uh, today off on the radio side of things. A well-earned day off for Gary and uh, Colin back here with us at home. Uh, Jerry, the Mariners, uh, back-to-back sweeps, the Orioles, then the Royals here at home. Uh, what have you enjoyed watching the most during this winning streak for the Mariners? The fact that we've not lost. <laughs> it, it has been. It's been a fun week. Uh, just really the the East Coast trip in general. I thought we played competitively. And, and though through you know Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, we did not come out on the winning side as frequently as we have. We left those six games believing that minimally we should have gone three and three, and we effectively just shot ourselves in the foot in a couple of games with with our own activity more so than what the the Yanks or the Red Sox were doing. And then I, I, once we got back to Baltimore, we returned to doing the things that we do, which is particularly in the latter third of the game, grinding. We throw strikes. We're giving ourselves a chance every night. And, and that continued through the Kansas City series here this past weekend. And, and, and hopefully we keep on grinding right into the all-star break because this has been a terrific 85-game run for us. And, and this team believes. This team believes in themselves. Uh, I do believe that Scott is in as good a place as he's ever been as a major league manager. Uh, both in in how he's approaching games tactically and and in the way he's managing the, the the vibe in that clubhouse, and it's just fun to watch these guys every night. They're finding new and fun ways. One nothing or, or just by one. We've even had some blowouts. We've won a couple of two run games, which has been awesome. <laughs> Since you brought up Scott, that kind of sparked something that I've heard Scott talk about in a couple of different places. And that is this year, year three for Scott as the Mariners skipper. He came into this season telling himself that he wanted to coach less and manage more, kind of give up some control on various elements of the game. How have you seen that play out for Scott? Well, I, I think it was astute of him to identify that because that's always been Scott. Scott is a coach. As a player, he was a coach. You know, I will say, having had him for a period of time as a battery mate, he, he was a coach. And that's the way he was wired. He comes from a family of coaches. You know, Scott's uncle is, has been the head coach at Creighton University for a uh, number of years and very successful at that. And, and they he have a coaching mentality in the family. And, you know, when Scott first retired as a player, he, he ran a baseball facility in, in suburban Denver. And, and that's what he did. He coached. So you know, it's not shocking that that's his natural inclination. But observing what he's done this year, he's, he's, he's allowing the people around him to make a bigger impact than maybe they've made in years past and encouraging them to push the envelope. And that's kind of what we do organizationally. We, we, we encourage our people to push the envelope from player development to the big league side. And Scott has always been wildly creative. He has been willing and open to share whatever is, is going on. And I think by dropping the, 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 that last little hold on, on truly being both coach and manager, that, that now he can focus on the more important of the two jobs and allow good coaches to coach freely. And, they, and communication has improved immensely to me. Uh, the trust level in, in what he's got going on with the coaching staff and with the players, and, and that's both for Scott and the coaches, has been tremendous. And this is as good an environment as I've ever been in. in, my, in my, now, I, I, 
this is the 30th year and uh, 30th season in, in professional baseball, and it, and it is the coolest environment I've ever been in. That's high praise. That's and congrats on 30 years. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good run. Well, we are recording this on Tuesday in advance of uh, Game One of the series against the Angels from Safeco Field. Uh, tomorrow, July 4th, Jerry, do we have uh, big plans post-game for July 4th at the DePoto compound? Uh, hopefully a replication. You know, yesterday was an off day, and uh, yesterday I did spend some time in the office. I, I cut out a little early in the afternoon and went home. I did not sit in a rocking chair on the back porch, but, uh, you know, my kids, my, I, I have, my kids are a little bit older. My, my daughter and her husband were, were here, are here. They, they live here now, and and my son and his girlfriend are, are up from San Diego staying with us for, for the summer uh, while, before they go back to school. And last night it was it was BBQ in the backyard. Oh, really? Yeah, threw some steaks on the grill, uh, made some smashed potatoes, a little bit of grilled asparagus, uh, and and broke out the badminton net. Uh, we, we had the we had badminton going on. We had some kind of frisbee in a can game going now, on. Now, is this like the scene from the football scene from Wedding Crashers? I mean, is this like full on nosebleed? Broken ribs, badminton. I, I would say for my son, it was like that. There was a moment where, where as I am watching the the four kids play one another in badminton, that I said, "All right, this is and this is more of a Scott Service thing than a me thing." Scotty would do something like that. I, I said, "All right, pick any three of you, and I will play you, and I'll beat you right now." And and then we we played a a three on one and and had a lot of fun with it and and. and? I had, yeah, that's right. It's just as you would expect. Uh, and and then my son challenged me to a, a single game, and we won. But it was I said to my wife, you know, and it's early July, and and since I stopped playing, we've never really had a day like that where we could just a sunny day in the backyard or just throwing some some food on the barbecue and and, and playing lawn games. It just doesn't really happen during a baseball season when you're working in a front office and and it was really refreshing so i'm hoping for a little more of that tomorrow i can imagine that's great i, I love hearing about that stuff because you're right uh there are plenty of benefits to working in baseball but enjoying sunny days at home sometimes is not one of them so i'm happy to hear you guys were able to do that the news of uh the last uh, couple of days for the mariners edwin diaz for the second time has been named american league reliever of the month edwin is on a historic pace, to say the least, Jerry. Uh, how impressed are you by this just continuing the consistency from Edwin Diaz? To, to win the award twice in a season that's only three months old is notable. Eddie is having a phenomenal year. And, and you know, it's, a, it's not shocking from a stuff perspective. I think we all knew that he was capable of this. He's still a very young guy. I mean, there's we have we have pitchers currently throwing in Modesto or in Arkansas that we feel are real major league relief prospects and they're older than Edwin Diaz. And, and you know, it's 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 remarkable how young he is, how quickly he rose to prominence from the moment he was called up. The fastball, the electricity on the fastball is unbelievable. I think what we've seen over the last two or three weeks is that Eddie got his slider back. You know, he was he was without his slider for eh, a week, ten days, and sometimes sometimes the, the pitches tend to go flat for you. But he found that that slider, and really now the two wipeout pitches, 
His efficiency in the strike zone has been terrific, especially by the standards that we've become used to with Eddie. You know, it, he wasn't he wasn't shy about occasionally firing out a thirty pitch outing on you, and and that has really started to become you know atypical. He's he's been very efficient with his pitches. And I have to believe that there's not a hitter in the other dugout scrambling for the bat rack when they see Eddie warming up in the bullpen and, and the, the the stadium starting to pulsate when he's coming in. It's he is uh, he's ominous and, and he's going to blow one every now and then. It's just part of being a closer. But I couldn't be happier that he's pitching the ninth for us. Let's dig into that slider a little bit more because the final pitch that he threw to Salvador Perez on Sunday was a slider, and Perez struck out. No surprise. Most guys do against that pitch. But it it just took a just right-off-the-table look. I mean, it had a Felix changeup look to it, a splitter look to it. How much can he manipulate that pitch in terms of the break and the direction and the final location of where that ball ends up? I think that's what's come so far for him. He has the ability now to kind of to make it longer, let's say, starting it at the right-hand hitter, breaking it long across the plate, or get that sharp downer that gets under the left-hander's bat or falls short, like bounce it on the plate type versus the righty. You know, it, it, there's, and I'll, I'll, I'll harken back to to the '90s when I was playing. Rob Nen had that, where and Dwayne Ward had that, where you could just throw that slider down on the plate, and they've got no shot, and it, it looks like a strike for the longest time, and and you, you'll almost embarrass yourself swinging at pitches that are that come. We we saw it in Boston with Chris Sale, who's got an equally as impressive breaking ball. You swing at some crazy bad pitches, and, and they truly do look like strikes. And Eddie has that illusion going right now, and it's pretty awesome. Turn back the clock night, Jerry. Did you like Ben Gamble in no sleeves? Nelson Cruz as well. That was quite the look. Uh, it, was a, it was definitely a gun show. <laughs> I, I, I will say that, uh, you know, when we I, I think I mentioned this to you. I, I, I was fortunate enough to play in the, in the last turn the clock ahead uh, scenario and I remember being with the Rockies at the time and, and and they were silky smooth unis you didn't want to wear anything under it you wanted to have this you know I, I felt like Cosmo Kramer on Seinfeld you know it's it, you wanted to go and flaunt it but super comfortable uniform was not aesthetically pleasing our uniforms really did look cool you know I, I mean to the traditionalist perhaps no but it was a it was a it was a cool look. I loved how many players sold out to the yes. to the look, particularly D. Uh, and I'm glad that they talked Nelson into bearing the pipes oh because it was something to behold. I mean, if he isn't terrifying enough for a pitcher, you put those pipes up there, and I mean, he looked like he wanted it a home run that night more than any other night of his life, didn't he? <laughs> and it was really, I think it was crushing to everyone but the Royals that he did not go deep because that would have been amazing to watch him around the bases just. Flexing, kissing the pipes, it would have been great. There's, you know, I did. Do you remember Jose Valverde? Sure. Jose Valverde used to finish every save by kissing his bicep, uh, <laughs> and and it w- it would be somewhat comical, I guess, in in today's bat flip era, to rather than flipping the bat, it's just to to turn around and kiss your bicep with, you know, a sleeveless uni on it. It, it would go a long way toward engaging the fan. It was a fun night at the ballpark and a nice Mariners win as well. Hey, uh, some. July 2nd signings have come to a close, the international period. I know the Mariners uh, and you guys went after a a very young shortstop from the Dominican Republic, 16-year-old. Am I saying this right, Jerry? 
Is it Nolvi Marte? Noelve. Noelve, okay. Now, Noelve Marte, really one of the, the handful of best prospects, we think, in in this year's pool. Uh, just 16 years old, and he will start his career, playing career in the Dominican Summer League. Probably won't play this summer uh, as we transition him into to the pro life, but he'll, he'll be out there with us working out and get into the, the Instructional League program in the fall. But a real five-tool talent and it's a right-handed bat he is going to to get bigger and get stronger he runs well he has power now it's it's real now power and for a 16 year old with a wooden bat that's kind of shocking there's a level of hitability there that we feel like is advanced and we do think that this guy's going to end up at shortstop even if his body grows but we think there's enough bat there that if he outgrows the position, then then the bat will carry him to a corner like third base. Can you give us kind of a an inside look as the the whole process here? Because for I think even the most dialed in fans, all of a sudden they find out, oh, I guess the Mariners and every other team went out and signed a bunch of kids from in this case the Dominican Republic and elsewhere. How how does all this work? What's the process? It's a this one is the it's kind of the wild wild west international signing. It is a, I've I've often referenced it as the like the last bastion of affordable talent. <laughs> it's a, you know we go we Tim Kisner uh, runs our international programs scouting programs and and overseen by Tom Allison our VP of scouting, and we've got scouts all over the world in in countries ranging from the Far East to Latin America and even some smaller countries in in, in South America. America, Central America, Panama, Curacao, you name it. And, there, and there's a Mariners personnel on the ground. Even Europe. We've not yet tapped into the European market. But, you know, watching Max Kepler with the say, lens, yeah, it's out there. So, so we'll scout it. And we will oftentimes in the international scene, we'll start tracking the young players as early as when they're 13 or 14 years old as, as – uh, because you know that two and three years later they are going to be eligible to, to sign, and you want to have as much history built up watching that player as you can. Most of those views come via organized workouts or industry events, similar to you know in today's in travel ball uh, world. In Latin America, it's not too different. They just have they have events where the young players, the 15-year-olds for next year's July 2 class, are are out there performing in these in these controlled events, and you get to see them run, see them throw, see them take batting practice, etc. We've seen Noelve for quite a long time. He's been on our radar for the last two years, and the fact that we were able to to bring him in and and make him the headliner of what we think is a pretty talented class, we're excited for it. So for all the guys in the uh, in the draft and sign department where they can kind of take a deep breath now, and now the draft is over with, July 2nd is over with, I mean, now what? You'd go on a vacation? Oh, heck no. They're, they're already, <laughs> you know, the, the guys on the amateur side, you know, Tommy, uh, Scott Hunter, they're all out in Cape Cod right now doing their summer work on next year's draft class. The, the guys internationally, is this J2 class was announced yesterday, and, and they are already down in the Dominican Republic, first onboarding some of the guys and, and putting them through physicals with our medical team, et cetera, but then starting the, the workout camps and the, and the scouting jam for next year's J2 class, which is you know, we've already got a couple of hot takes on names for that class as well. Tim Kistner is a guy that we need to talk to, isn't he? I mean, yeah. he seems like 
his role in baseball is absolutely fascinating. If nothing else, just to hear the flight horror stories of him flying all over the universe. And Kiss is not afraid to go anywhere. And and there are some some travel spots out there, particularly in, in today's political climate, that are not super comfortable to to visit and and kiss will will he'll go everywhere he'll look at the players he wants to dig in uh, he is not bilingual uh which is to say he also doesn't speak japanese and but he does spend a fair amount of time in tokyo and uh but he spends 90 percent of his time in in, in latin america and spanish-speaking countries and i think it's a challenge for a guy who doesn't speak spanish uh but he has done a great job of putting talent in our system, some of which remains here today. Noelve Marte now joins. Uh, really, Julio Rodriguez, who very quickly is catching the attention of, of prospectors around the game, uh, off to a phenomenal start as a 17-year-old in the DSL. And, and some players, really, that have allowed us to access major league talent in the last couple of years. And, and that's not to be taken lightly. So we view the international markets as a chance to tap into superstar potential, but also to come up with really interesting prospects that oftentimes put, I guess, major league deals across the finish line when you're making trades as well. To go back to your second-round pick last year, Sam Carlson, a high school pitcher, some tough news, Tommy John surgery just recently for Sam. Well, what's the latest for him? Yeah, you know, Sam had his he had his surgery yesterday. It was successful, uh, and and as it was per- performed, it was deemed necessary. He's he's missed over a year now, uh, or roughly just about a year of time off the mound, and he has been through throwing programs, continually ramping it up, going back to live batting practice sessions and bullpen routines, and ultimately always taking a step back and. And, uh, you know, the imaging was always fairly consistent. We, we didn't think there was a, an issue here. And then obviously that changed over the last two or three weeks. And it was determined that this was necessary. I hate that Sam lost a year in the, in the lurch. It's not entirely shocking that, uh, that an 18-year-old high school signee would eventually need a, a Tommy John. But it is, it's unfortunate. He's a super talented kid. He works hard. He does the right things. And he's going to miss the next 12 to 15 months as he recovers from it. The good thing will be that when Sam returns, he's still going to be a 20-year-old. And there's going to be a lot of baseball left for Sam Carlson. The downside is that it, it does put a little bit of a, you know, a dent in, in his 2018-19 seasons. We heard Scott Service talking the other day about Marco Gonzalez, and isn't it funny? First of all, Jerry, before we get into innings limits and the amount of innings of your rotation and Marco in particular, when we were sitting here over the winter time, well before spring training, we were having conversations about relievers that you either had acquired uh, recently or in the past who you believe could work multiple innings, right? All, all you need to do is get to nine innings a game. How you cobble that together, you can be creative with it. And all of a sudden, Jerry... Uh, at last look the other day, there are only two teams who have a rotation that have spun more innings than the Mariners, and they're the two teams that you would probably guess, the Astros and the Indians. I mean, th- this is incredible, and I don't think at least what we thought would be the plan going into spring. Is that fair to say? Just like we planned it, right? <laughs> yeah. No, there's a, are we talking like funny weird or funny haha? <laughs> No, no, it's a we we actually planned on more of a one through thirteen or even one through eighteen almost combination event going through the rotation, 
uh, as we started to acclimate some of the pitchers to, to the innings. And, you know, we couldn't have known at the, the outset of the season how easily Marco would acclimate to both to the American League and to taking his turn every fifth day for eh, just the second time in the last four years. And uh, he's, he's been terrific. He seems to be getting better with, with each passing month and certainly gaining in terms of confidence and, and really knowing what he's doing and sequencing his pitches. He's got great sense. Uh, just feel the pitch, uh, understanding of what's on the other side. And I think his stuff, both his changeup and his curveball especially, have gotten better and better with each passing start. So we're super encouraged with where he is. I think Mike Leak has been terrific, very consistent uh, over the course of really his time as a Mariner. But outside of a couple of rocky starts in April, he's been awesome. And, you know, we've talked about James Paxton. Pax has, I think, put up seven innings in eight of the last ten starts, and at least seven innings, and uh, might even be more than that, 10 or 12. But He's been phenomenal. I think we've started to see maybe a little bit more inning volume out of Felix over the course of the last month, and and then and then we have Wade, who has been it's it is it's absolutely been like Jamie Moyer revisited for us, and and I, I I'm so happy for where this group is and the innings that they provided have made it a lot easier on the the middle of our bullpen. And it, it's not been a whole lot easier on Eddie because we're, we're winning so many of these games by a run or two, and he's in there every night. But at the, the way this rotation has gone about kind of the yeoman's work of chewing up innings, certainly we didn't expect it, and it's been a, a pleasant surprise, and I'll take it for sure. So how do you go about coming up with that number? And Scott, for people who aren't familiar with this or haven't heard Scott talk about it, Scott very wisely refused to put the number out there because he's right as soon as he said the number everyone would hold him to the number right uh, but I'd have to think that there's a chance and I could be very wrong of this Jerry that that number kind of has some flex to it right I mean it seems like we saw this a couple of years ago with the Blue Jays and Aaron Sanchez where they kind of had an innings limit for him but he had some easy innings right we all know not every inning is created equally I mean heck you could even have an immaculate one here and there uh-huh. so uh, how, how do you go about kind of putting all the pieces of that pie together to come up with that number. There's truly that number is always squishy. It's a moving target. And, you know, I'll, I'll just go back in, in my own history a little bit that you now I'll, I'll date back to when I was with the, the Diamondbacks in Arizona. We had acquired Ian Kennedy uh, in a multi-team trade that I think was one of the most fascinating trades of all time. And, uh, uh, truly speaking, it, it was so if many. If you do say so yourself, uh, it was well. I didn't actually make the trade. But, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was just the guy sitting next to the to the guy that made the trade. But you know, we did. We th- that trade included Ian Kennedy, Edwin Jackson, Curtis Granderson, Max Scherzer. It, it was. Okay, there were right. a lot of people. Yeah, you went. You went. Yeah, moving around in three team swap. But uh, Ian Kennedy came over to the Diamondbacks, and in his first year with the Diamondbacks, he was coming. It's very similar to to the Marco scenario. He was coming off a season and a half lost to to having had, I believe, an aneurysm uh, or something like that um, in in his armpit. You know, so he had a he had a very limited number of innings the the year before and over the previous year and a half, and came over to the Diamondbacks and was 
awesome. And throughout the 2010 season, couldn't have been better than he was. And we got into September, and Ian's throwing, you know, seven innings a night like clockwork. And appear, he's on pace for about a 220-inning season, and he's having a really good year. And, you know, by that time, I, I had taken the, the spot of the interim GM. And I went and spoke to him. It, he was efficient. He was throwing strikes. His velocity didn't waver. Ian, how do you feel? And he said, I feel great. And, you know, what we tried to do at that point was just – use the old eyeball test to measure the stress in the inning. You know, if he was having a stressful outing, we would try to limit it to, you know, 90 or 100-ish pitches and cut him short. If not, let him roll. Let him let us know when he's had enough because I'm fairly certain that the only time or the only chance you have to build 180, 200-inning starters is to let them throw and start to push the boundaries a little bit. We're, you know, we will look at Marco as we get to, to the upper reaches of what we think is a reasonable target for Marco. Once he gets into that 160, 170 inning zone, we're going to have to pump the brakes a little bit. But I don't think it's out of the question that he can get to and beyond that number if he's throwing as efficiently and as well as he is now. He's been a terrific story this year for the Mariners and just has been a wonderful guy to be around, as you know. And, uh, hey, another guy that fits that bill, you already mentioned his name, Wade LeBlanc. There's some news revolving around Wade LeBlanc that I know you're eager to share. Oh, Wade LeBlanc. We, we signed today. We signed Wade LeBlanc to maybe one of the most unique and creative contract extensions, I think, in, in baseball. And really happy for Wade, happy for Natalie and his family. It's a, Wade has been uh, that guy who's had to earn everything that he's ever achieved in baseball. And, and he's always done it. And we have talked on this podcast and at other times about the contributions that Wade has made. And, you know, it's a, it's a unique contract extension. It's a one-year extension uh, with three individual club options for, for the ensuing years, each of which starts with, a, with a, what we think is a fairly priced base salary and includes incentives that we, we have jokingly referenced as the Jamie Moyer contingency plan. <laughs> so uh, Wade has done so much at this stage in his, in his career, into his 30s. Uh, I think having a breakout performance as a starting pitcher at this stage and, and age is not something new to the Mariners. And, and so we wanted to make sure that we had all the bases covered while still rewarding Wade for what he's done. And I think it's the right message to send to Wade it's the right message to send to our clubhouse that we do appreciate the, the performance of the players, the contributions that they're making. And particularly in Wade's case, we wanted somebody, him to know that somebody's noticed what he's done, not just this year, but over the course of the last handful of years, as we've discussed, he's been pretty doggone good. And, and we want to make sure that he's, that, that he's a part of what we're doing. He's so versatile. He's so dependable in what he's, in what he's about. And he's a great guy. And, and to do those things and, and contribute the way he has since putting on a Mariners uniform is pretty awesome. Jerry, I can't help but feel like my work towards his second Wade LeBlanc award must have fit into negotiations somehow, must have at least propelled you towards an extension. I mean, after all, these awards don't create themselves, Jerry. Don't be shocked if Wade comes up and, and gives you a hug, you know, maybe post-game tonight. That'll be the first time. <laughs> thanks, thanks you for, for, for stumping for him. It's, it's, he's earned it. He really has. And, you know, I know he was in earlier today to, to sign his deal. And, 
and uh, he had a big smile on his face, and so did his wife. And and it's it's an opportunity for him to stay in one place for a period of time that, frankly, he's not had a chance to do in, in much of his professional career. So really pumped for he and his family. I ran into his family on the elevator, not knowing that it was his family. This was post-game the other night until one of his, his two sons, uh, Jackson and Eli, I believe, one of them turned around in a Sunday cream alternate jersey, and it had LeBlanc on the back. And I said, you're the LeBlancs. <laughs> <laughs> what gave it away? Yeah. And uh, I, I met his wife for the first time, of course, and uh, told, him, told her how much I love her husband and how I really think, Jerry, some of the best sneaky humor in the clubhouse is Way LeBlanc. Agreed 100%. Yeah. I, I mean, it's terrific. For for all of the the energy and and kind of physical notice that D Gordon brings to the to the field, it's impossible not to train your eye toward D when when you're out there and you're watching the the pregame when you're watching the players interact, or when you see one of our guys hit a homer or the like. If you get a chance to lock in on Wade LeBlanc pregame. Check it out. It's a. It's kind of fascinating. He will. He'll walk along the line. He'll walk along the line and give everyone like the direct businessman's handshake uh, at the at the dugout staff, which is so in line with his sense of humor and and uh, you know it's he's he has fun with it. And I think the this team has such a way about them that there is truly it's twenty five guys fighting for the same thing, uh, and they really like playing together. You know, I, I, I may have mentioned this once before, a, l- a little quick story or a trip into baseball's past. Years and years ago, this was in the 1950s when the Yankees are in the midst of winning championship after championship, and I think played in, in almost every World Series, it seemed, for the decade. A reporter asked Whitey Ford, you know, tell me what the, you know, what the, the difference is between the Yankees and the Red Sox. Because seemingly the Yankees would be in the World Series every year and the Red Sox would finish the runner-up or third despite having Ted Williams and Bobby Doerr and Dom DiMaggio and Mel Parnell, you know, Jackie Jensen, just a host of superstars and Hall of Famers. And uh, Whitey Ford's response was, we've got 25 players who pile into one cab. They have 25 players who each take a different cab. And I think that is the story of, of this 2018 Mariners team. It's 25 guys jammed into one cab. And, you know, and Wade LeBlanc is, is on, on some days is the guy showing them how, their way into the door. That's a great way to look at it. That's terrific. Uh, are you ready for a little stump, J.D.? Oh, my gosh. So you're drilling me now. Can you make this a little easier? I know. You know what happened? <laughs> I actually was thinking about this today. I don't want to beg, but you I'm going to beg. I was throwing like a... I don't know, like an 86-mile-an-hour fastball, and you crushed him. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to go straight Chapman on you. And I you went did. like 105, 106. And then you started throwing sliders. I know, right? yeah. like vicious 93-mile-an-hour sliders <laughs> you got no chance at. Uh, so I'm, try- I'm, I'm trying to find the in-between, Jerry, although I must say winning is great. <laughs> We've established that yeah. throughout the course of this. Okay, so uh, we were reminded of a feat. Uh, spun by D. Gordon back in 2011, and that was he stole for the cycle. Stole second, stole third, he stole home. That got me thinking, right? How, how rare is this? How often does this happen? Who has done it? Okay, so I'm trying to give you a lot of outs here, Jerry, a lot of avenues of victory. All right, 
I, I, in fact, I don't exactly know where to start because I have so many ways for you to win this. <laughs> uh, I'll start first by saying that, do you know the last guy to do it? It happened last year. It happened last year. Okay, that's a no. Uh, I would say, if I had to say it was last year, I'm going to say it was Javier Baez. Oh, that's a good guy. I like that. Now, this is a sneaky 2020 guy. Will Myers did it. What? No. I love all these avenues you're giving me to win this. <laughs> okay. In the last two decades, there have been three guys to do it. We've already named two. The third longtime National League player just retired as a Mariner. Farmhand. Re- just retired as a Mariner farmhand. Jason Worth? Yes. Can you Stop believe that? Stop it. I'm serious. I, this, is, this is fascinating to me. Now, I, I haven't been able to confirm this or really much of anything that I've said. But <laughs> what I believe is the all-time record holder, one person stole for the cycle on four different occasions. He is a Hall of Famer. Is his name Jackie Robinson? No. Is it Ty Cobb? Yes. Yes. Nice. Dang. Nice. How do you feel about it? You feel all right now? You feel pretty uh, good? I Only just so-so. You know, <laughs> I, only so-so. Yeah. I could be honest. See, I want to have you, I want to give you just enough confidence you keep coming back. Okay? <laughs> but not so much that your chest puffed out when you when you walk out the door. Which that was at the beginning. All right. So, I think I think we've learned a lot here. Right? We stole for the... And I'll be honest. I had never even really thought of stealing for the cycle before i mean i just i i've never seen it in person i've actually never even seen it on a game i was ever watching uh, nor have i honestly. no yeah i was thinking what's it like for the pitcher if you have a guy steal for the cycle i mean how how demoralizing is that well i feel like that happened to me every time Deion sanders was on base there's it was terrifying <laughs> it, it, it changes your whole way of pitching i honestly believe and i think i may have mentioned this before uh, having lived through those super speedy, you know, the base stealers uh, on first base, I think they're they're better for the team oftentimes when they don't run. The, the, the distraction that it creates and the, the hittable pitches that it provides to the hitters in back of them, are, it's phenomenal. You know, and, so you and don't want D to run anymore. There's, oh, no, I want him to steal as many bases as he can steal. <laughs> I, because I do think that, that the benefit we have is that we do have hitting behind D. We have Gene Segura, who's, you know, it's, I think it's remarkable how many times Gene has taken a pitch and allowed D that one opportunity to go. Because D, like D, Gene's a slasher. He's out there to swing it. He's out there to hit. And, you know, we wondered how that combination would roll. But the fact that D is on pace to steal 40-plus bags is, I, I think, is that tells the story for us. Uh, uh, not to digress too much on D, I feel like this is right up O'Keefe's alley. I, I don't know why I haven't noticed this before. These Sunday home alternates are made for D Gordon. I mean, how good does D look in those unis with the, with the blue stirrups and the white spikes? I mean, he's even faster on Sundays, I think. That is right. D. Gordon, for me, any type of alternate uniform look, it's mostly just how much he invests in that moment. <laughs> There's a, I will say that he wears a uniform as, as well as any player in the league. It's a, it's, it's, it, I, I want to say that it's, it's almost thought out. It, it can't be this easy for the guy to just put the uniform on and look like that uniform was made for him. But he has so much fun with it. I will say that I thought 
The, the best uniform look for D was in Baltimore last week when he had like the great gazoo looking helmet <laughs> taped down the to his taped down to his head and then went with the flashing Ryan Healy. Uh, was, it, it was a look. It, it was, was a look. definitely a look. If anybody can pull that off, it would be D. That's right. Yeah, and I did like on the turn ahead of the clock night, the long gold chain, which somehow I haven't seen, that said flash on it with a lightning bolt. Did I see this correctly? Which was tremendous. Yeah. And it, uh, I, I think D, D's, the way he bought in to turn ahead the clock night, it was, it was as if it was an homage to, to Ken Griffey Jr. Like, there, because if you remember back in the day, seeing the footage and, and watching the, the, the replay of that game, uh, I mean, Junior really sold out for that game. Went into it lock, stock, and barrel. And I think D did the same. And and the way he kind of sucked there. When he was down there spray painting things before the game, I thought this is awesome. And he went up there with the silver bat. And it, it was it, it was it was so well done. It was I, when when I saw the spray paint, I'm thinking I got some weekend projects for you guys. Swing by my garage <laughs> sometime, okay? You're making this look a lot cooler than I would. Well, we'll get to some listener questions. Remember, you can always email the podcast at thewheelhouse at mariners.com. Michael in Fremont, Jerry, would uh, like to kind of check in on uh, how year one with Dr. Lorena Martin is going. Uh, what are some of the, the major programs or changes that she's rolled out this year, uh, how she operates behind the scenes? Uh, you'd just like to kind of know some of the details as to how this is going halfway through the season. Uh, I think going well. We've, we've almost... D- because it had to happen, we've seen a, a fairly significant reduction in, in DL days. And, you know, knock on wood, I'm going to knock on everything in the room. But uh, there's, I, I can't say that there's much of that that we can attribute to our high-performance program. But what we have been able to attribute to, to Lorena's work and this program are, are multifold. The data gathering and, and starting to track the way our players recover the need for rest. She's been she's been excellent in the way she's communicated when one of our players might need a day off because the dial's a bit down. Uh, communicating with our players in regard to the way they're sleeping, the way they're resting or recovering. Uh, she has been very involved with Felix Hernandez over the course of the last, let's call it 30 days, in, in his new programs between starts. And, and he's worked fairly closely with Lorena from inside the weight room to, to the way he is resting and recovering. So, you know, if, uh, if the uptick we're seeing in Felix's performance and physical stuff is any indication, I'd say year one has been successful. And it has been throughout our organization. You know, uh, John Walker, who oversees our minor league trainers, and, and Dustin Lind, who's a new hire in our player development group, who is, let's call it, the guy who single-handedly, I shouldn't say single-handedly, who leads the charge in connecting the dots from the technologies to the on-field or in-cage applications. A lot of our HP initiatives that that stem from Lorena's department have really been wildly successful in at the minor league levels, and I'm sure over time we're going to start seeing that turn out or, or show up at the big league level in a bigger way. This uh, next question is uh, from Andy, who is probably roasting right now in Scottsdale. We're sorry about that, Andy. Uh, he, he would like to know, Jerry, what is your perfect sandwich, and what would you call it? What is my perfect your sandwich? Your perfect sandwich. And what would I call it? Ah, whew. There's, can I choose somebody else's sandwich, or this is one that I would build? Um, you know, 
Andy didn't specify, but I, I guess I interpreted it as if you're going to have a dream sandwich, which, I mean, if you are who you say you That's are, right. you'd be making. Uh, but um, what, what would be the dream sandwich? Uh, well, I would like to tell you that I'm, that I'm into curing my own meats. Uh, but okay. I've not really cured my own meat yet. Yeah, this is off-season goal number one. Yeah, meat curing. Uh, I do enjoy a salty cured meat. Uh, so it's something... Oh, scratch that. <laughs> scratch that. Uh, oh, keeps good for something. He can cut that out. Porchetta. Oh, boy. If I, if, Whoa, if we, I, went, we went, straight, we went yeah. straight distance on this. Yep. Okay. So, I, I was originally going with like mold. I was going. I was going to go like the the salami, prosciutto. Just go like cured meats, some type of melted cheese, uh-huh. some, some peppers on there with maybe a little a little olive oil or aioli, and and keep it simple on what has to be on a twenty to eighty scale eighty bread. That's very important. Uh, dirty dough, preferably the dirty dough of the east. You know that the. The dirty not, dough? Are you not familiar? I'm with not it? familiar with dirty dough. Uh, dirty dough, like New York, Boston water that is used to okay. to make that, that. Sounds delicious. Kind of the Italian bread in, the, okay. in that region that just, to me, trumps all breads. But uh, porchetta with maybe a nice, like, broccoli rob for a, for a tick of bitterness. Oh, you, you dropped broccoli rob on us? Oh, yeah. So, okay. So all it's right. a porchetta with a little. I mean, you're watching your figure. I can appreciate that. No, it, it 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 offsets the. Come on, do it. Okay, I just you're going uh, broccoli. I just never even envisioned broccoli rob on a dream sandwich. The dream sandwich, if the 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 richness of the porchetta needs to be cut. Okay. By by let's call it the bitterness of the the broccoli rob <laughs> again. Fight. The dirty the dirty bread. If you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm taking Ichiro's bat here in Ichiro's room. Okay. Um, that's how. That's now. How have you had go. this sandwich someplace? Or is this just you're making this up right now? Uh, I'm, I'm making it up, okay. but I but I have had I've I have had porchetta sandwiches, okay. and I I will tell you that that's the way I see it in my, in my mind's eye. I'm trying to marry flavors. <clears throat> is there a name that's come to mind for this sandwich? Can, I mean, can we call it the franchise? <laughs> no, no, that is a better taste. Great for that kind of name. <laughs> There's. You asked. I, I did. Uh, you know, when I was thinking about sandwiches, first of all, maybe it's just because we were in in uh, in Boston. I mean, uh, a lobster roll is like maybe the greatest thing on earth. But you know, is that a, is a hot dog a sandwich? It's on a hot dog bun. This is like an O'Keefe thing, 100 percent, right? Okay, he's saying no. He totally it is. Uh, but I'm gonna stray away from that, okay? Because it's a roll. It's not a sandwich. I don't think a hot dog is a sandwich. It is definitely not a sandwich. It's not hot take. Hot, but. I do think a lobster roll is a sandwich. What's that? I do believe a lobster roll is a sandwich. See, I kind of thought so too, but it seemed, first of all, it seemed a little snooty. The lobster roll? Yeah, I mean, if your sandwich is $25, you know. But but a lobster roll, you can buy a lobster roll anywhere in in New England, and it's like buying a hot dog. I mean, it's a lobster is as readily available to them as as a weenie would be anywhere else in the nation. Uh, I... um, when when I think of my dream sandwiches, uh, normally one of them has some type of beef and horseradish. Those Ooh. are like two uh, that just makes my heart sing. Uh, but when I think about the sandwich that I count down the days to every year, okay, it is the sandwich sandwiches that I consume. I crush the lunch after Thanksgiving. Oh yeah! Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. The turkey with the the stuffing and so this is this sandwich has been named Goldie's Gobbler. 
Ooh, I like it. And you're selling into this like D Gordon. Yeah. I'm turning the heck out the, yeah, the clock ahead. I'm inspired. I'm I'm playing inspired right now, and I'm making this sandwich with conviction. Okay, um, it, these are smaller sandwiches. All right, so these are on smaller rolls because I want to consume multiple sandwiches. You see what I'm saying? I want the feeling of consuming as much as I can. So <laughs> to me, three smaller sandwiches are better than one normal size sandwich in this case. All right, I'm looking for a soft yeasty roll which i will break open and i will now this might not be for everybody okay but my post thanksgiving sandwich is essentially the entire thanksgiving dinner in a sandwich so all on a handheld yes it gets a Hawaiian little, dinner roll. It's it gets a little crowded. Uh, the Hawaiian is a little sweet, but I see where you're going with that. That's what I have in mind, just not as sweet. So on one side, I have my house-made cranberry sauce. Okay. Now on the other side, and this one gets a little weird. I have warmed up, but not hot. Just warmed up to take the chill off. My sweet potato casserole. Ooh, ooh, I'm following. You with me? Yeah. I'm okay. Ready. Now, I have. My dark meat, okay. I also have a little bit of my dressing. Now I'm talking stuffing here, okay. Let's not be confused, but it's dressing. It's not in the bird. It's we. I feel like we had this conversation. We did, and I, yeah. okay. I don't want people thinking I'm putting like salad dressing on. We're, we got dressing on there as well, and I got a little turkey gravy on top of it, warmed up. So those are the components of the uh, Goldie's Gobbler. Have you considered going that route? But rather than the turkey gravy on top, maybe doing it as a jus on the side. Oh, that's not a bad idea. Oh, and when I say on top, I don't mean like it's on top of the roll, right? Like it's on top of the turkey, and then the sandwich is closed. Oh, ah, okay. You know, I was so, going to yeah. say, now that, it's that, getting to be a yeah, very sloppy messy. sandwich. That's very messy. I should have clarified there. Uh, so that is that, and I have probably three to four of those per sitting, and they're delicious. <laughs> now, I will say this too. It takes, it does take some time to make three to four of those sandwiches, but it's well worth it. Well, actually, if it's, I mean, if it's left over. Right. There, but it's, you know, there's some preparation. You got all the Tupperware out, right? You're heating things to fairly specific temperatures. It's a high maintenance sandwich, okay? Because not too hot, not too cold, but it's terrific. Uh, and there's no broccoli rub on it. Uh, okay. So <laughs> we will, uh, we will, uh, uh, hey, we'll finish up. Let's go around the horn a little bit uh, to finish up this homestand. Uh, July 4th tomorrow, of course. Uh, but we've got a limited time offer going on for the four games against the Blue Jays, August 2nd through the 5th. Uh, Mariners.com slash blue by 2 p.m. on Thursday to snag select view level seats for only $17.76. Another good deal, we have Mariners Value Games presented by BECU tomorrow, Thursday, and Sunday. Bleacher or view level seats, just $15. Man and club level seats for $30. And the next homestand, man, we got a ton going on. Uh, see Pearl Jam Fireworks Night, July 20th. D. Gordon Bobblehead Night, July 21st. And then the Giants come to town, some interleague games. 24th and 25th of July. And Dee Gordon's bobblehead, by the way, he helped uh, design. I don't know if you knew that. I can't say I'm at all shocked by that. The, the, this on... is, Dee is a designer. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what he does. Leaning on the uh, on the lightning bolt, which is which to me is like, because that's the bobblehead thing, right? Like, how do you make a, a bobblehead look fast? You know? I mean, like, you put Kyle Seeger in a sliding position, like, he could look fast. Is Kyle Seeger fast? Possibly not, you know? But you have don't D- tell Kyle Seeger. That's that. true. Yeah. You put you put D Gordon with an elbow leaning on a lightning bolt. That says all you need to know. That, that, that does in fact bring it on home. 
Jerry, I thought uh, tensions got a little high between you and I in this podcast episode. Um, but I hope we recover before our next recording. There's, a, I, I got over it as soon as I started salivating over the, the post. Goldie's Gobbler? It is. Goldie's Gobbler was bringing it. <laughs> Jerry, it's been fun. Thanks, man. Always. Oh,